0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: What would you say, Tegan, if I told you there was a way for women to reduce the risk of ovarian cancer by around 40% at pretty much no extra cost to the healthcare system?
0: Uh, is that a trick question? That would be a game changer. Ovarian cancer is one of those ones that, because we don't really have a good way of screening for it, people often don't know they've got it till they're too progressed to be able to sort of do any good interventions.
1: That's right. And while there are genes, and we'll come back to this a little bit later, somebody who knows 5,000 times more than me about this is while there are genes which can increase your risk of ovarian cancer, most women who get ovarian cancer don't have the genes, and so there's no way of knowing. Now, what this is about is the fact, the mind-bending notion that, in fact, 50% of ovarian cancers don't start in the ovary. They actually start in the fallopian tube. So, Tegan, if you can just imagine here, you've got the ovary, well, like a little egg-shaped thing, and you've got a basketball mitt sitting <laughs> next to it. I'm sorry, a basket? <laughs> yeah, just imagine a basketball and that basketball mitt... <laughs> catches the eggs and then pushes them you know, and then they go down into the fallopian tube and uh, to the uterus to be impregnated or not, as the case may be. Now, I can see
0: why you went into medicine and not into sport, Norman. Well,
1: well, well, that's right because my basketball mitt doesn't move very much. The basketball mitt is where the cancer starts and the idea here is could you remove it simply and when a moon is already having another procedure. Now, I covered this many years ago with um, the person who really pioneered this idea, who's associate professor Diane Miller, who's a gynecological oncologist at the uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver.
0: It's hard to believe that for 200 years we thought this was an ovarian cancer and now suddenly it's a fallopian tube cancer. But that understanding that the cancer starts in the fallopian tube gave us an incredible epiphany that here's now a chance to actually prevent this cancer. By simply changing the way we do hysterectomy, not asking more women to have hysterectomies, but if you're having a hysterectomy take the tube out at the same time, there's pretty good evidence that we will be able to prevent a large number of these cancers. In our British Columbia ovarian cancer database, we know that 20% of the women who developed high-grade serous cancers had had a hysterectomy in the past. That means for those 20% of women, we would have had an opportunity to prevent that cancer by taking the tube out at the time of hysterectomy. Another procedure that's very commonly done in North America is a tubal ligation. When women feel that they do not wish to have any further children, 20 to 30% of North American women will have a tubal ligation. In the past, we used to recommend destroying as little of the tube as possible in case the woman changed her mind and she wanted to have it reversed. But now, if a woman or a family changes their mind and wishes to have more children, it's much more common that they would have assisted reproductive technologies like in vitro fertilization. And because of that, I think this is another opportunity to remove the fibriated end of the tube instead of tubal ligation. Again, another potential to prevent another 10 to 20% of these cancers.
1: Dan Miller, um, University of British Columbia, talking to me well over 10 years ago. Well, last month, a major global cancer research organisation called for a wider introduction of fallopian tube removal for ovarian cancer prevention. Now, it's never really taken off in Australia, but has had its proponents, one of whom is a leading gynecological oncologist, Professor Andreas Obermeier at the University of Queensland. Welcome back to the Health Report after a long gap, Andreas.
2: Hi, Dr. Swan.
1: What are the barriers here? To implementing this?
2: One of the barriers is knowledge and evidence. So we really think that there are 40% of, of ovarian cancers are actually arising in the fallopian tubes, but we don't really know that exactly. because So we don't know if all ovarian cancers um, actually arise in the fallopian tube. The other thing is implementation. So if someone would take this serious, we would need to start a lot of implementation research and understand the barriers of why that is not implemented. As we heard from Professor Miller, this could be implemented at the time of cesarean section rather than putting a a fishy clip on the fallopian tubes to remove the fallopian tubes but also at the time of hysterectomy, to offer the women a removal of the fallopian tubes.
1: But didn't she manage to implement in British Columbia and to some extent in other parts of Canada?
2: In Canada, that's the big advantage that they have is that they record procedures in such a way that they actually know exactly in how many patients the fallopian tubes are removed. Whereas in our Australian system uh, with the Medicare item numbers, we don't really know whether hysterectomy was performed with or without removal of fallopian tubes.
1: Why would you leave the fallopian tubes if you're doing a hysterectomy?
2: You're aware that I'm a gynecologic oncologist and the we hysterectomies, are, we either remove the ovaries or the fallopian tubes, uh, but we never, you know, so we discuss never leave removal them. of... Exactly right. But, for example, we did a study... Um, And we published that in 2019 in the Australian New Zealand uh, Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And we found that fallopian tubes were removed in about 70 to 80% of women who either had an abdominal, so an open hysterectomy or a laparoscopic hysterectomy, but in only about 13% of women who had a vaginal hysterectomy. That would be one of the uh, angle points where one could start investigating why that is the case.
1: And what about tubal ligation? Because that's less common now in women than it used to be.
2: In a tubal ligation, you basically put a metal clip on the fallopian tubes and you, you basically block the way um, the, the egg could travel from the ovary. Uh, via the fallopian tubes to the uterus, and what and really good quality research has found out that you could as well have the fallopian tubes removed at the time of the cesarean, for example cesarean section, or or even if there is not a uh, it's it's just a minor procedure, and the thing is that it doesn't interfere with your hormones, right? So, uh, so it's I think not like we taking the edit. ovary out, yeah, just-
1: exactly.
2: So sometimes women say, well. What does that do with my, with my hormones? It does nothing with your hormones. So,
1: And presumably, I think it's the point that Dan Miller made, was that um, if you change your mind and you want to have babies, you can undergo IVF because, in fact, reconnecting the tubes once you've had a ligation increases your risk of an ectopic pregnancy.
2: Exactly right. So, for example, sometimes I see women who feel... Who feel or who actually have a genetic predisposition predisposition to ovarian cancer, uh, or for example, women who needed IVF for the first pregnancy, and uh, in order to manage their risk of ovarian cancer, we just remove the fallopian tube, and the patient just goes on uh, and has IVF and falls pregnant that way. I'm not suggesting that should be done for every every woman, right? So. Uh, but for selected women, uh, this is a really good approach. And these women often then in their forties would come back and have the ovaries removed. But I'm often saying to them, look, if you feel that you are at risk right now, this is what we can do, and you're not giving up on fertility.
1: Now, you, you started this off by saying more research is needed, but really, is more research needed here? I mean, if, if a woman knows that it's going to reduce her chances of ovarian cancer, even though she doesn't have the genes, and it's sporadic ovarian cancer, which is relatively rare, certainly much rarer than breast cancer, why shouldn't a woman be given that option? Why shouldn't gynecologists as a routine be giving all women an option if they're undergoing a procedure like tubal ligation or hysterectomy or even thinking about how they're going to control their fertility moving forward uh, and tubal ligation being an alternative to saying a vasectomy in their partner?
2: I would totally agree with you. Um, But uh, as a fact, not all women are given the options. And so... Well, that's my point. I would, yes, exactly, exactly. But wouldn't you then start working out why these women are not given the option? Is it, is it uh, a knowledge deficiency thing? Uh, is it... Um, are, there, are, there, are there any other barriers? Are there systems and process barriers? Wouldn't you want to know why that doesn't happen?
1: So that you can advise your gynecological colleagues accordingly.
2: Absolutely, and I do that. Uh, and and sometimes, like I'm just coming back from a conference, uh, and sometimes uh, gynecologists say to me, "Ah, oh, since you spoke to me about it, I, I now do this regularly," and uh, and that's obviously a good thing to do. But it shouldn't require um, me having individual uh, conversations uh, with gynecologists to change the clinical practice.
1: Andreas, thanks very much for joining us on the Health Report. We'll probably keep an eye on this one.